Democratic lawmakers craft a proposal to reduce education spending. The governor says he supports the plan. Their approach right now um, to, to, um, to eliminate the 5% cap um, provision and, um, and extending uh, the, the voting on school budgets for a month or whatever period of time it ends up being is the right move. Plus, state leaders grapple with how to manage projected school construction costs. And with less than a month to go until town meeting day, an update on Burlington's mayoral race, ahead on Vermont This Week. From the Vermont Public Studio in Winooski, this is Vermont This Week. Made possible in part by the Lintelac Foundation and Milne Travel. Thanks for joining us for Vermont This Week. It is Friday, February 9th. I'm Sarah Mirhoff. Joining me on the panel today, State House reporter Calvin Cutler with WCAX, editor for Seven Days, Sasha Goldstein, and Northwest and Equity reporter with VT Digger, Audie Guha. Thank you for being here. Um, we are less than a month from town meeting day where Vermonters will make their voices heard on the most important issues to them and their communities. Chief among those is school spending. Now we had a really in-depth run through of the issue and how it became what it is from seven days education reporter Allison Novak last week. But Calvin, there's been further movement in the state house. Tell yeah. me all about it. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, this has ballooned into one of, if not the biggest issue of the legislative session so far. You talk with people at the state house and they're really grappling with for answers. And so um, the Democratic uh, leadership at the State House has sort of put together this plan of, of how do we begin to wrap our arms around this, this issue. They're crafting a bill. Uh, it's moving through the House side first, then it will go over to the Senate. But essentially what it would do, we just heard the governor there, it would eliminate this 5% cap, which was intended to blunt some of the economic um, damage or some of the increased costs that more wealthier districts would be paying under recent education equity uh, legislation. So it would remove that 5% cap and uh, it would also give uh, some tax breaks or tax benefits to some of these towns as well. And it would also allow uh, towns to push back their, um, their, their school budget votes until April um, with the intention or with the hope that some, of, some districts may be able to go back to the drawing board and you know, have these conversations and, and make cuts to try to chip away at, at this, this issue. But I mean, certainly, um, yeah, I mean, this is, is a, a really big issue. Um, even then, you know, with this proposal, you know, we're still going to see property taxes go up quite a bit. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's gonna cost over $200 million to, to try to buy this down if we were. So um, that's sort of where the leadership is and sort of where lawmakers are on, on this issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, Sasha, with the, the reality with town meeting day being so close upon us, I mean, what do you make of this at kind of the 11th hour, the legislature stepping in and saying, we might have to push this off? Yeah, it's a huge burden to the school districts, which we were talking about this earlier, Calvin. I mean, districts are dealing with so much. It's not just the finances of it. It's it's with what's happening um, within the buildings themselves as far as um, student needs and um, ballooning costs of um, teacher salaries and health insurance. There's just a lot going on 
um, for these districts. They're dealing with so many things, and now it's there's basically like go back to the drawing board, figure out how all these things work together. It's a it's a huge ask for them. So um, I think we're going to see plenty take advantage of this. Um, this ability to push back. I know um, there was some movement just earlier today in the House Ways and Means uh, Committee um, where the, the committee actually voted on this and approved, um, you know, backed this new measure. So we're seeing some quick action. I, I think we were talking about this too. I don't remember ever seeing a bill that was passed um, or signed in, in 2022 um, so quickly it's being amended with such urgency. And I think that speaks to how big an impact this is having on uh, Vermont residents across the state. So it's it's so rare you see that. And it really is uh, consuming a lot of the ox oxygen in the state house and, and something I don't think people really saw being the big issue this session. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I will say too, I mean, it's, you know, um, we had a really big turnover in the legislature, uh, you know, last year or two years ago. And so when uh, Act 127, the pupil waiting law was passed, uh, that was mostly in a, a previous legislature. So there's a lot of new lawmakers that are still trying to, to grapple, you know, and trying to understand what, what's at issue here. And also just the very nature of our education funding formula, the way that, you know, we have local control, people vote at at the local level on their local school budgets, and it all comes out of the statewide education fund. Um, it's a very complex system, and I think this is one of those pivotal years where we're really taking a look at, you know, what are we spending for education? What are we getting out of it? And what's the best way to fund education? To, to Sasha's point, um, you know, schools are now becoming um, you know, it's not just learning and education that's happening in the classroom, but they're really hubs for social services, for mental health, food, clothing. A lot of social ills that, that happen at home as well are now falling on, on teachers um, and, and schools to address this. And it's, it's expensive. And that's why the education fund has, uh, you know, really risen over the past few years. And it's over $2 billion. So it's a really pivotal time, I think, for, for Vermonters to be reflecting on, on education. And, and you mentioned, too, you know, uh, a lot of the lawmakers learning about uh, how this funding formula works. I think you're seeing a lot of reporters learning uh, some big some big words, some some phrases that are, are pretty jargony. And and um, so there's a lot of a, a big learning curve for for how these things all all connect. But it's been um, quite quite a time for sure. Yeah, there's a, a joke in the journalism industry about us all being really terrible at math, and this is a really bad time to be bad at math, I would say, as a reporter. <laughs> Let's hear from Lamoille South Superintendent Ryan Herity about this very issue. This sort of change in the tax law will have a, a real lasting impact on our community and the people that will be able to stay and afford their homes. We need to recognize that we only have so much money and we need to, you know, operate like any family does. We need to operate within our means. Now, Kelvin, at the governor's weekly press conference, we, we talked a lot about this, of course. It's the topic du jour. Um, but he also talked about the idea of putting off town meeting votes and also the importance, in his view, of mail-in ballots for those votes. Tell me a little bit about that take of the governor's. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as we mentioned, part of this bill that's moving forward will allow um, them, allow districts to push back their school budget votes. And, you know, whether that happens in April or May, we don't know exactly. We don't know how many towns are looking at this, at this too. But the governor, you know, said that this could be a really a good opportunity for mail-in ballots to play a role, um, you know, because organizing an election 
printing ballots. Um, you know, this is all thing. These are all challenges that local town clerks and uh, and election administrators are going to have to be. Um, working on in an already busy uh, election year, too. Um, and so the governor said, you know, this is a, one way to really get people involved. Historically, with town meeting, um, turnout has been dropping in, in recent years. Um, who can make it to town meeting day, uh, you know, if you have kids or you're working? Um, so, you know, the, from the governor's perspective, um, having more voices uh, at the table, more people weighing in and voting on your local school budget, you know, might be more reflective of, um, you know, how Vermonters actually think and feel about education. So I think that's an interesting one to, to keep an eye on of, you know, if every if we have suddenly 80 or 70 percent of a municipality or a school district is weighing in on their school budget as opposed to maybe 30 or 50 or, or the lower turnout in the past, I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic to watch. Mm -hmm. Audie, in the work that you do, you really embed with the communities that you cover. And I wonder what you make of the burden that this might be placing on local municipalities, maybe having to do some last minute pivots, you know, reverting to mail-in ballots. How do you think that might play out with folks on the ground? I think everybody's struggling with it. We especially at municipal meetings, select board meetings often, um, town clerks, if you talk to them, they will tell you that they do the job of 100 people. Yeah. And anytime there's a change or something new that needs to be instituted, it becomes, it falls on their shoulders. And the way some of our smaller towns are, there really isn't the support and help those municipalities need to deal with things like mail-in ballots. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, on the note of education spending, school construction continues to be a hot topic in the State House. Calvin, you've done some great reporting on this this week. Run me through what's going on. Yeah, this is one of those long-burning, simmering conversations that's been brewing for many years now. And the state, basically, uh, we've gone through this process where we had a um, building inventory where we were assessing the, the state of our buildings and schools and our infrastructure. And this week, we have some preliminary numbers of what it would cost to basically bring them up to snuff. Um, you know, it found that there's uh, over $200 million needed right now for immediate health and safety needs. And then, of course, over the long term, over in the next 20 or so years, it's over $6 billion is what we would have to um, pump into our schools. There's a wide understanding that there's no way that we can shoulder that, um, you know, then I don't think anybody has that, that expectation of we're going to be paying out, but it really does give us a sense of the need. And so we're restarting the conversations of what could a school construction aid um, a committee or a program look like? You know, the treasurer's office says we could model it after like a state like Rhode Island, where, you know, the state and municipalities or, or districts um, kind of split the bonding capacity. Um, but I think, you know, again, just like with the education funding, um, you know, conversation and with property taxes, this is also another big one as well of, you know, what do we want our education system to look like? What does learning in the 21st century look like? Um, you know, it, we've got declining demographics in some of our, our, um, our communities and um, what, you know, education looks like is changing. And so I think in, in some ways this this conversation, there's much more to come on this, um, but it is a real pivotal, pivotal moment here for Vermont. And we know that um, school it, communities love to have their schools. I mean, there was 10 years ago, there was a lot of school consolidation, um, less than 10 years ago. But, um, you know, that's led to a lot of these really old buildings and we're kind of seeing the bill come due. And, and yeah, I think you're right. These the communities are going to have to decide 
Um, you know, are they going to get support? Um, are they going to want to stay in that building? Is, is it going to be possible? So it's a, education is, is a huge topic right now. And then, of course, there's the PCBs as well. That's also a separate but related conversation moving forward at the same time. And if we were to restart some uh, an aid program, you know, we have the community of Burlington, which is paying for Burlington High School with their own taxing capacity, and they're not getting uh, much help, I should say, you know, from, from the state. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. Mm -hmm. Let's hear from Jill Briggs-Campbell of the Vermont Agency on Education. How do we align limited state dollars uh, with educational priorities that already exist and really be able to build, uh, refresh, renovate, or potentially even build new schools that will meet all of those state priorities? We have no strategic plan right now. As far as I'm concerned, we have no mission or vision. It's time to bring stakeholders to the table to talk about where we're headed. I feel like we could talk about, again, school spending for this entire program, but we've got so much news to cover, so let's move on. Speaking of town meeting day, Burlington voters will choose a new mayor for the first time in many, many years next month. Sasha, can you walk us through the kind of state of play of what's going on in the Burlington's mayoral race? Yes, absolutely. Um, we are just a few weeks away from town meeting day, and uh, actually ballots go out to all registered Burlington um, residents next week, so uh, re registered voters, that is. So we are really on it. And um, this week has been a big week in the race. Uh, on Monday or Sunday, we got the first numbers on campaign finance, which showed um, one of the, the top candidates, Joan Shannon. She's a city councilor, longtime city councilor, the Democratic candidate. She raised about a hundred. $35,000, which is a lot for a, a Burlington mayor's race. That's about what Mayor Murrow Weinberger uh, ra rose, raised during um, the entire last election. So, and that was actually double uh, her closest competitor, Emma Mulvaney-Stanek, who's a state representative. She's the progressive candidate. They're kind of the, the top two uh, leading candidates in this race. And we did have Two independents joined the race, Chris Hazley and Will Emmons. Um, this is also, uh, you, as you mentioned, this is the first time we're going to have a new mayor since uh, 2009, um, or rather 2012. But since 2009, um, it'll be the first time we're using ranked choice voting for a mayoral race, which is bringing back some uh, tough memories for Burlingtonians. And that was the year uh, 2009 when Bob Kiss was elected by uh, ranked choice voting. So. Um, it's, but we do have four candidates, so there will be some, some ranking going on. But, um, you know, the, bi the big issue, as you can imagine, has been public safety. Um, the, uh, Admiral Moliviani Stanek and Joan Shannon have really, um, given sort of different perspectives on that. Um, I, we, ho Seven Days hosted a, a debate on Wednesday, and, um, that was a big topic of conversation. I know Calvin also had uh, a debate, which the chamber hosted, which again, it was also a lot about public safety. And that's something that's really on people's mind. Joan Shannon has sort of um, pitched herself as someone who is um, kind of wants to clean up the streets and, and have some accountability. Um, I think you're not seeing as strong language from um, Emma Mulvaney Stanek in that regard, um, but she does agree with the idea of um, having a right-sized police department. What that is exactly is sort of up in the air. Um, Joan Shannon has sort of hammered um, Emma Mulvaney Stanek for uh, being a progressive, and the progressives, of course, 
were um, behind a, a decision in 2020 to cut the police force in Burlington, which um, Councillor Shannon sort of pointed to as part of the reason for some of the public safety concerns we're seeing now. So, so those are the big issues. Housing, of course, is a big issue. Spending is a big issue. Um, it was interesting in talking to them, a lot of them said, well, we need the state to help us on a lot of these issues. So um, again, it's, it's all, a lot of these issues we're talking about in the state house are really local issues in Burlington. So there are some big challenges ahead for whoever is elected, but um, it's been an exciting and, and close race so far. Yeah. Calvin, as Sasha mentioned, you hosted a recent debate with some of the candidates. What's your kind of read at this point as to how their messages are resonating with Burlington voters? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting. I think, you know, like Sasha said, there's two ways of, of looking at it, sort of the challenges that Burlington's facing right now. And where do we want to go? Where do we want to be as, as a city? I mean, I think, you know, what was really refreshing to see during this debate is, uh, or, you know, during the, the candidate forum earlier this week is, um, you know, they talked a lot about sort of the spirit of, of bipartisanship and trying to um, cool down the, the rhetoric. I know there's been, you know, they there was talk about campaign signs and things that were, um, you know, stolen or damaged and you know certainly uh, in an election year tensions can run high among your, your constituents or among your supporters but I think um, you know in terms of how the the the, the candidates are, are pitching themselves and their their visions for um, Burlington um, you know I think from my read on the situation I think you know the voters are are, are taking it in they're balancing and um, you know really kicking the tires if you will on on the candidates Mm -hmm. Speaking of Burlington news, uh, the developers for the City Place project, formerly referred to as the Pit, in Burlington have changed course on their plans for this very high-profile construction job. Sasha, tell me what happened this week. This was really big news for the city. Yeah, it was big. There's, um, you know, we, we were actually at the City Place site yesterday, and one of the buildings, there's going to be two buildings on this site, and as you, you know, one, one is going to be 10 towers. It's already built out to its its full height, um, which was kind of dramatic to see. Uh, many years ago, there was a big debate about the actual height of it. The, the original towers were supposed to be 14 stories. So um, this is smaller than that, but what we learned yesterday is that they'll actually reduce the amount of housing, long-term housing that's available in the development from about 420, 430 to actually 350. And in its stead, they're gonna replace that with two hotels, um, 350 total rooms. Now, a lot, you know, there was people asked um, the mayor about this decision. Um, they asked the developers about this, and they basically said it's a financial decision. Um, you know, the question was obviously we're in a housing crisis. Taking away housing is kind of the last thing you want to hear about. Um, but the developers said this was this is a two hundred plus million dollar project, and they said to get the the financing, this was kind of something they had to do. I think there was one of the the developers who said. Well, you know, it's either this or zero units. So um, that's how they've pitched this. You know, Murrow uh, Weinberger, the mayor, also pitched hotels as a good economic um, stimulus for downtown businesses. We have people coming to the city and going out to eat and drink and um, sightsee. So, um, but it was, it, you know, it was dramatic. There, we had some some residents there who were unhappy with the decision. Um, this will go to the council before it's formally approved, um, but it does seem like this is probably going to go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, Calvin, with Mayor Weinberger publicly mulling a potential run for higher office, 
making this move in the kind of waning months of his seat as mayor, what do you think voters are going to make of that? Yeah, I mean, in, 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 a, in an election year where housing and public safety and housing, housing affordability are, you know, some of the big issues, um, I mean, I think voters might look at this critically, or at least, you know, um, should he choose or who, whichever should he choose to run for higher office and um, whoever he's running against, I mean, this potentially could be, you know, political ammunition against him and saying, hey, you know, this was a decision that was made, um, you know, did this hurt or help? So, I mean, I, I think it potentially could be a liability, but we'll have to see. There's also, I mean, I, I was saying this earlier that um, it seems like there's kind of a checklist of things he wanted to get done, right? You've been in office for 12 years. You start a lot of projects and you kind of want to see them to completion or at least some semblance of like having it on the right track before you're out of office. And it does seem like in the last few months, um, he's sort of been going down the checklist and trying to get the big ticket items done, whether that's to support a, a future run or just to cement his legacy. I guess that's the question we'll have to find out in the next couple months. Mm -hmm. Also in local news, Audie, you had quite the scoop this week on an officer resigning from the Vermont Criminal Justice Council after quite the hot mic moment. Tell me, how did this happen? What happened? It was very unexpected. I got a tip that I should look at this meeting that was happening on Wednesday because they were going to vote on a policy that uh, subcommittees and advocates across Vermont have worked on for more than two years. A vote was supposed to be held, and I imagined I would be writing a fairly straightforward story when at the big, towards the beginning of this meeting, when an, a migrant worker was talking about the difficulties they face trying to work in Vermont because of the fear of police and being, uh, you know, referred to immigration authorities, uh, a person off camera made a very disparaging comment that I think shocked everybody who was on that meeting. And initially, the chair, Bill Sorrell, immediately said that this is unacceptable behavior and that person mustn't speak, and then the meeting carried on. But advocates and council members soon spoke up and said that we need to discuss this. And the sad thing that has happened during uh, an important policy that talks about how police should be responding to immigrants in Vermont, which has long been a conversation among racial justice and other advocates. And uh, the person who interrupted did identify himself, uh, even though he was off camera the whole time. And uh, he, he was Mike Major, a policeman, a part-time patrol police officer in Bristol, and who soon after resigned from the council and from the B Bristol Police Department. And the uh, People at the meeting really spoke out. It was a two-and-a-half-hour meeting. Everybody spoke out and condemned this. And uh, the council said that this is not what they stand for. Yeah, we have a statement from uh, council chair Bill Sorrell. He said, quote, Today's appalling incident underscores the need for our council and others to redouble efforts to eliminate discriminatory attitudes and actions by some Vermont law enforcement personnel in performance of their duties. Audie, do you think this gets at like a larger issue of, um, you know, police officers 
maybe unconscious biases? Just plain racism, if you ask me. And that too was brought up. I think Erin Erin Jacobson, who was representing the Attorney General's office, she was the first one who called it out after the initial uh, incident and just said that she was not just outrageous, but it's especially damaging, not just to the community at large, but to police officers and to entire law enforcement. And this takes back... And another person said at that meeting that this comment basically took all the efforts made, like, 20 steps back. Mm, yeah. Um, also in State House news this week, or state government news, I should say, 117 lawmakers have signed on to a joint statement denouncing anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and actions and one could even say hate crimes in the state that have happened recently. Calvin, you have followed this. What happened and what did lawmakers have to say about it? Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's been a number of uh, incidents in, in the past few weeks. I know up in the islands there was a, a, flat, a pride flag that was taken down. There was also a, um, a bomb threat, I believe, at a uh, drag story hour uh, in White River Junction as well. So there's been a number of these incidents which have, um, you know, happened over the past few weeks. And, you know, we really heard, um, you know, every, all of our congressional delegation, just about every, I forget exactly how many people or which, which people, but I mean, like, it was tripartisan, quadpartisan, um, you know, on this, this resolution or this statement basically saying we will not tolerate this and you know we need to address this this head on so i think that was one of the brighter spots i think this this week to see that that letter and um you know whenever we have these types of, of incidents i mean it's really concerning but i think it was uh, really interesting to see all of our elected leaders you know come out so forcefully and strongly condemning this yeah yeah and they also tied it to this kind of national trend that we're seeing i mean the fbi has documented a rise in hate crimes in recent years and um, just largely the kind of anti-LGBTQ rhetoric that's been festering. Um, but on that somber note, that's uh, the, all we have time for today. Vermont, I want to thank our panel for joining us. Calvin Cutler with WCAX, Sasha Goldstein with Seven Days, and Audie Guha with BT Digger. My name is Sarah Mirhoff, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Be well.